Good evening, everybody. Welcome back uh, to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. Uh, it is Tuesday night again. Glad I could be with you guys tonight because uh, my uh, I was not of course I wasn't able to join you guys last night due to the unexpected. <laughs> well, it was not that the hurricane's arrival was unexpected. It's just that the consequences of the hurricane's arrival were unexpected. And I ended up being out of power for the better part of a day. Uh, I was a little bit worried my Wednesday evening uh, broadcast was going to get taken out too. It didn't quite, so that's good. Uh, but um, it was uh, that was a nearer thing uh, than I had expected. So uh, anyway, okay, so we are back. Uh, this past weekend was Mythmoot, uh, which was an awesome experience. Uh, really great to connect with a lot of you. I know uh, many of you uh, were there, which was awesome. Uh, we had a wonderful, wonderful time. Uh, it was really great. There are going to be other opportunities to join us. We're going to have, uh, you know, pretty much planning uh, that most of our fall moots are going to end up being digital, so there will be some opportunities to join in, I think. Um, we'll, we'll see. Well, more information forthcoming on that as we go. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was uh, awesome hanging out with those of you who were able to make it. Um, all right, two announcements uh, before we begin tonight. First announcement relates to Signum Path. So uh, the Signum Path program is sort of moving on to its next phase. We've had our first over that we've been uh, uh, going now for three months. Uh, we've had our first sort of full cycle of courses. We've gone all through our four initial badges once in the first three months. In the fall, so for September, as we're beginning to think towards September enrollment, uh, we're beginning to focus, uh, we're, we're sort of narrowing our focus for a little bit on our two most popular badges. Uh, which are our uh, uh, writing and verbal communications badges. And we wanted to give everybody an opportunity to see what our Signum Path classes is, are, are like. I, we, I, you know, we know this is sort of not only a new program for us, but kind of a newish thing, not exactly like uh, a lot of other professional development opportunities. So we wanted to give people an opportunity to, um, uh, to, give, uh, uh, to give that a... Uh, uh, a look over. So hang on. I'll get back to that in a second. Uh, so what we're doing this month, we're doing, in fact, uh, this week uh, is the first one. Uh, we're doing a couple mini courses. Uh, these are just sort of a free opportunity to get a taste of what goes on uh, at PATH classes. So there's just no obligation. And if you do attend, you'll actually get uh, an offer for a discount. So if you're thinking about uh, doing a PATH course, this is a great opportunity not only to find out more about what's in it, but also to save some money uh, in signing up for it. So so um, uh, those are coming up uh, this week. As you can see, I'm going to uh, paste this uh, link here into the uh, chat there so that you can see that. And um, uh, there we go. So we can uh, you can you can. Uh, pursue these and uh, uh, check these out. Uh, the two courses that we're doing little these uh, previews of um, are our nuts and bolts course and our two-way communications course. So two of our uh, two of our core uh, writing and uh, verbal communications courses. Um, so anyway, I strongly encourage you to check those out again. They're they're absolutely free. Uh, a really fun sneak preview. Uh, so definitely recommend those to you and to be thinking about our September enrollment. The other thing that's different about September, about our courses starting in September, we're going to actually be offering all of our courses every month so that people can kind of take them at their convenience. You don't have to sort of wait until it you know, kind of comes around in the cycle again. Uh, so that's 
uh, going to be a little bit uh, a little bit easier, a little bit more convenient. Um, so yeah, definitely check it out uh, there if you get a chance. The other thing I wanted to announce is a new thing that we announced at MythMoot, which is we have a new Signum store uh, for new uh, an online store for Signum merchandise, and I I would uh, so yeah I would recommend uh, this. Uh, certainly to your attention, because if you scroll through the designs, so the way that the store works is there are a number of designs, right? Like, uh, for instance, the Balrogs don't have wings design, right? Uh, and you can uh, you can click on the design and then you can get it on like almost anything that you want. Um, so like if I click on the Balrogs don't have wings design here, um, you see that, uh, well, eventually... Uh, when this goes through. There we go. Um, uh, you can get that on T-shirts, on face masks, on all kinds of clothing. Right? There's like a whole bunch of clothing options here of uh, different styles. You can get stickers, laptop sleeves, phone, phone cases, uh, uh, like a tapestry. A tapestry. I mean, come on. Um, uh, all kinds of, uh, all, you know, mugs, cups, <laughs> throw blankets, uh, uh, tote bags, uh, an apron. Come on, you've always wanted to have a Balrogs don't have wings apron. Um, anyway, this is, uh, uh, this, this, so, and this, this works for every single one of the, uh, of the different designs. So you can kind of choose. I, I've been, uh, having a lovely time, uh, choosing. I've, uh, uh, I have a birthday coming up, so, you know, I'm, uh, making a, a birthday list for my relatives of things they can make me. And so I was kind of going through and picking like, which design do I want on what thing? Um, so, uh, anyway, but, uh, those of you, of course, who have been faithful attendees at exploring the Lord of the Rings will definitely, uh, notice, uh, some, uh, fairly familiar, um, uh, options here among our designs. Uh, there are some that certainly have been made with you guys in mind in particular. Several uh, uh, several things that you guys have mentioned uh, that we should have. I'm having a I'm having a connection problems here. I'm hoping there we go. Well, this will work anyhow. Um, so you can see um, lots of options, including spiritual boulders. There is in fact a spiritual boulders design. Uh, there's uh, Bob is a Hobbit. You can join me uh, <laughs> on the on the correct side of the uh, of the Bob uh, argument. Um, this one I think is uh, possibly my favorite one. Um, uh, it's the uh, Green Dragon pub sign, and the slogan beneath it says "Great is our middle name," uh, which is a a pretty deep Tolkien joke, right? Uh, very obscure Tolkien joke for complete uh, nerds there. Um, but uh, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, we were trying to think of how to do like a, 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 a green great dragon uh, joke uh, on a shirt. Uh, and it was uh, Joe Hoffman who came up with this idea, which I thought was completely brilliant. Um, 
But uh, <laughs> anyhow, <laughs> that's just some of the things you can see. You can you know go and uh, browse this uh, yourselves. But this has been a, a, a long time coming. We've been meaning to build an online store for a while. Uh, we have some other ideas. And by the way, we're always open for other suggestions. If there are other products that you would like to see or that you think other people would like, feel free to let us know. Send an email to info at signamu.org and, and, and let us know your suggestions. Uh, we had a brilliant suggestion during Myth Mood. Um, which is uh, <clears throat> one of the objects that you can get the design printed on is uh, uh, is a coin purse. And so someone was suggesting, well, like, we should have a talking coin purse. So as soon as people suggested that, we were like, oh, man, like, we totally need a coin purse that says, ear, who are you on it, right? I mean, like, obviously, if you have a coin purse, that's the coin purse you have to have, right? Um, so anyhow, that's... Um, that's that's what we're uh, that's that's the kind of thing that we're offering at the Signum store. So uh, please, you know, uh, uh, please do check that out. Um, they do have international shipping, so this is one of the reasons why we chose this company. Is that it's possible to you know we've already had uh, people order it, um, people uh, you know make and have delivered orders in uh, in the UK and in continental Europe and uh, a couple other places. So um, you can definitely. Uh, uh, you can definitely get it, get it shipped to you wherever you are without like paying ludicrous, uh, shipping fees for that. So, um, anyway, those, so those are the two announcements for tonight. Now I would like to return to the text. And of course, uh, as I think you guys were warned in advance, um, we don't have, uh, um, a, um, field trip today. In fact, you'll see I'm not even running Lotro tonight. That's not Lotro's fault. That's my fault. Uh, my poor dear machine, my laptop that I've been using for uh, going on four years now is um, uh, going to be retiring to a quieter life soon. <laughs> Many of you may know that, of course, I was trying to stream uh, to do a special stream uh, on uh, Saturday night from Mythmoot and come just come totally wholly failed. Like my system just did not, um, handle it at all. And, uh, there had been some warning signs earlier on that this was the direction things were going. And that was, um, kind of the last straw. I agree, Sam, we did see an excellent haystack and I'm grateful for that. I think that that was really pretty much worth the whole thing. Um, so I am getting a, a new system and that will arrive sometime soon, not quite soon enough for me, but will arrive soon. Uh, and when that comes back, we'll have uh, again, but I'm just, don't get me wrong. There was a time on Monday. I thought I was not going to be able to have any machine for the next three weeks. So, um, I'm glad, uh, that I'm able to, um, uh, I'm able to do, uh, some stuff uh, without that. I mean, I'm still able to get my computer to work for everything else, but I'm not going to even try to open uh, Windows and Lotro in as well. So um, anyway, that's um, <clears throat> that's that's where we are. Uh, so I'm not able to do the field trips. I am going to do my Grifflet streams as usual on Friday afternoon. So for those of you who tune into my Grifflet streams as well, I will be able to do that. And I'm going to be able to do that uh, by... <laughs> commandeering my son's computer on Friday afternoons, but he has a conflict with Tuesday evenings. And I'm like, you know, 
far be it from me to try to interfere in the social life of a 17-year-old. So uh, I'm, uh, <laughs> I was not able to negotiate Tuesday nights on my son's computer. Uh, but Friday afternoons, we've made arrangements. So that's all good. <laughs> Any, anyhow, that's, that's, that's the situation. I have partial success there. Uh, Nancy, yeah, Nancy remembers, of course, we, we had a rather abrupt end to our Morgoth's Ring discussion. Nancy, that was really funny because we came to the end of Morgoth's Ring and uh, my go-to webinar crashed. And I'm like, oh, no, it's okay. Well, I'll just start that up again, see if I can get back in. And I did. And as soon as I got back in again, then like my entire system crashed. And I'm like, I shall take this as a sign <laughs> that I should be done. Uh, so, yeah, it was... Um, it's struggling. My laptop is really struggling. I'm hoping we'll be okay uh, for the rest of my other broadcasts in the meantime. Um, but um, we're... Yeah, <laughs> there's the screenshot. Druid's Fire just posted the screenshot of my blue screen uh, on Saturday. Uh, that was, uh, I think, the culmination of uh, my... I think that was the last one, as I recall, <laughs> when I gave up officially. Um uh, yes, Mad Violinist, I agree. My laptop is beginning to fade, uh, and it will be passing into the West, Aranos. Uh, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. Um, so, um, anyhow, that's, uh, what's happening around here. So that's why no game tonight, no field trip, I'm afraid. Uh, and it'll be, um, it'll be a few... Uh, it'll be a few weeks, probably the beginning of the first week of September at the earliest, maybe the second week of September before I'm officially set up and ready to go. Because, of course, I'll have to, like, download and install Lotro and my new machine. And goodness knows how long that's going to take. So anyway. um, okay. (laughs) Tora Marthen says the screen goes blue because it dreams of the sea. Maybe. Well, certainly the laptop is going to be sailing, sailing, sailing away and leaving me. Uh, soon. Okay. Ah, Valamoinen says this means three slides tonight. Valamoinen, my goal is four slides tonight. I mean it. I am serious. My goal is for now, but I can't go real late and I'm not going to keep you guys really late. Uh, I'm going to try to stick to my schedule, but I'm going to try to do four slides. It's slightly unusual conditions, but that's the goal. All right. Let's do it. So we just had the bromance of Aragorn and Gollum and whoop. Yeah. Back. Help. Okay. And then we get into, he had just kind of segued to Gandalf, right? By saying how much he did not like to think about what Gandalf endured in talking with Gollum, right? Um, that he came and endured, uh, uh, you know, you know, long hours of, uh, of, of talk with him. Um, Yes, long and weary, said Gandalf, but not without profit. For one thing, the tale he told of his loss agreed with that which Bilbo has now told openly for the first time, but that mattered little, since I had already guessed it. But I learned then first that Gollum's ring came out of the great river, nigh to the Gladden Fields, and I learned also that he had possessed it long, many lives of his small kind. The power of the ring had lengthened his years far beyond their span, but that power only the great rings wield. Um, one thing that jumps out at me immediately here, again, in, I mean, we've talked for a while now about what was going on with Gandalf, like the, the, the big question of why did it take Gandalf so long uh, to figure out that Frodo's ring was the ring of power? 
And one of the things that sometimes people will point to is this. They'll be like, well, but it extended life. So, And he says here that he knew that only the great rings had the power uh, to lengthen the years of mortals. And so he, how could he not have figured this out sooner? This is the thing that people forget. It wasn't until he interviewed Gollum that he knew that the ring had ext- had lengthened his years far beyond their span. Remember, Bilbo, it's not proof yet, right? Bilbo's old, and he doesn't look old, but <clears throat> that's not a smoking gun. I mean, I, you know, that's not a smoking gun. He is from a long-lived family on his mother's side, right? Um, Gandalf admitted to being, to kind of wondering about it. Um, but without clear evidence, that is like, a mortal who's lived like 500 years without that kind of evidence, Bilbo, you know, Bilbo himself believes that it's just, you know, just down to himself. Right. Um, uh, that he's just well preserved. Uh, and it's possible. It's entirely possible. Um, you know, it's by the time he gets to 111 and he, you know, still basically looks 50. It's, um, it's beginning to be strange Right. But again, not obviously supernatural yet. Um, so. Yeah, <laughs> Tora Martin says the rate of Hobbit aging might be a little tougher to gauge when you've been wandering Middle Earth for thousands of years yourself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's. um, um It's unusual. But it's uh, but again, it was not it was not clear. So Gandalf didn't learn that Gandalf did not learn for now. Obviously, when he does learn this from Gollum, obviously, he's going to connect the dots back with Bilbo. Right. I mean, certainly one of his first thoughts is going to be, oh, well, that makes sense. Right. Now I can see for sure what I already kind of wondered about anyway was whether or not there was some magical reason, some magical explanation for Bilbo's longevity. Right. Turns out, yeah, there is. Right. Um, And uh, and, you know, so again, it's that Bilbo's longevity would come in as uh, as a a reinforcement. Right. Of this idea. But he would not necessarily be um, uh, he would not necessarily be drawing that conclusion from observations of Bilbo himself. Um, Yeah. So it's not until Gandalf returns to Frodo, in other words, at the beginning of chapter two, that Gandalf is armed with that information. Um, yeah, good. Aranas points out that Aragorn also looks pretty good at 80 with no ring involved. Yeah, he sure does. Right. Uh, in other words, there's all kinds of reasons uh, for uh, there, there, there are many reasons that have nothing to do with rings of power that mortals sometimes age a little differently. Right now, it's not that Bilbo has any chance of having Numenorean ancestry, but, well, there are those rumors about fairy wives now in the Took line. Now, of course, Gandalf probably knows the truth of the story, which uh, began the circulation of the rumor about the fairy wife, right? So he would know for sure whether there is, in fact, any elf blood uh, in the Took's. Um, I see Nahor was thinking the same thing about uh, the fairy wife story. Um, yeah, but it's true, Kit. Some people just age well. Yeah, it's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. Um, Grim Dragon, Aragorn's age is not 
stated in the book in numbers. I mean, he talks about how old he is, and he refers to himself as being no longer considered young, uh, even by uh, you know the, the the count of his people. Um, but the 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 it, it doesn't say it in numbers. Yeah, you've got to do math and stuff from the appendices exactly in order to calculate it. Um, so, I mean, one of the things, um, Grim Dragon, that's a, a very sensible conclusion to draw from that, is that it's not obvious when that element enters the narrative. That is, Aragorn's being old, right? <clears throat> um, I think it's by the time he says that line I just quoted to, to Legolas, right, about him no longer being considered young, um, that, uh, you know, that's in the two towers that suggests that the concept of him being of a noteworthy mortal age already by that time, uh, is, uh, is probably already in Tolkien's mind, but even that is not to me, a a, a really, um, uh, a, a, an obvious and unequivocal, uh, indication of that. I think, though, it's probable, given the fact that it's also right around that time um, that Aragorn also starts talking about, like, when he says to Aemir, I do not know you, for you are young, right? But I rode with Aemir and your father. Um, so it does seem to be, at least by that time, by the time that Aragorn gets to Rohan, that um, Tolkien has settled into the concept of Aragorn being significantly older than he looks uh, officially. Um, but... Uh, uh, but anyway, it's um, it's not um, obvious that that was necessarily part of the... Well, I say the original conception. The original conception was Hobbit with wooden shoes. Uh, so that's... We don't need to go back quite that far. Um, but uh, but even the the initial conception of, of Aragorn, uh, you know, the uh, uh, Numenorean descendant uh, of Gondor... Um, yeah, Marielle, I really agree with you that a lot of Aragorn's mythic significance emerges uh, when Tolkien gets him to Rohan. Yes, I agree. There are several things, and it'll be interesting to watch uh, his character change uh, as we get there, because I agree. I think that that does make a significant turning point uh, for Aragorn's character. Really, that whole sequence from Parthgalen on through, um, basically, the, you know, the the story of Aragorn, specifically of Aragorn's sort of story thread there in book three, uh, is, I think, uh, a really interesting and important one. Um, okay. All right. Um, we finally get <clears throat> the evidence that Gandalf had been originally looking for, which is the provenance of the ring. Now, of course, he can't prove it exactly because there's a long gap of time. But he does get some pretty strong circumstantial evidence. Notice that there are really essentially two facts that he cites, right? Two uh, pieces of information that he puts forward as evidence as part of his proof here, right? One is that the ring came out of the Great River. I learned then first that Gollum's ring came out of the Great River nigh to the Gladden Fields. So the geography fits. If Isildur lost his ring in the river, right? Well, that's where Gollum found it. Now, that hardly proves that it's exactly the same, right? But when you combine it with the second point, um, I learned also that he had possessed it long, many lives of his small kind. 
The power of the ring had lengthened his years far beyond their span, but that power only the great rings wield. Gollum clearly had one of the great rings. He found that ring in the Anduin River uh, near to the Gladden Fields, right where Isildur had lost it. That by itself, it's, you know, is it absolute proof? No, but it's very suggestive, right? Very suggestive. Um, and uh, those two things put together are pretty hard to escape. But fortunately, he has an even more airtight case, right? Uh, because of his Gondorian archival research, uh, we can... Uh, uh, we can we can see that. Um, Emily says, how many uh, rings do you expect to find in the river? Well, who knows? Any number, right? Uh, I mean, I'm not saying that I'm expecting the, the banks of the Anduin to be lined with abandoned rings, but I mean, you know, it can't be the only ring, you know, kicking around down there in the mud. Uh, other people who were wearing rings at the time must have drowned, right? Like, like you know, uh, as Isildur did, or, you know, almost like Isildur did. So, you know, it's, it's, it's I'm just saying it's not absolute proof. Uh, you know, a, a, a hostile attorney could poke some holes in that case, is all I'm saying. Um, um, but, um, but yes, and Marielle, I do agree with you that uh, uh, Gollum's evidence is still pretty circumstantial. It's more likely to be a Sildur's ring than a dwarven uh, ring or one of the nine, but it's not impossible uh, that it would be. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Exactly. Um, <laughs> Lupilia says, it's like the Middle-earth version of uh, locking locks on a bridge for good luck to throw rings into the Anduin. Exactly. People do it all the time, right? I mean, just like it's, yeah, the, uh, the, the, the bottom of the Anduin is like three inches deep in, in discarded rings. Uh, so absolutely. Um, yeah. And yes, yes, uh, 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 Tom, in an early conception, Sauron is essentially the Johnny Appleseed of rings. Like in Tolkien's initial conception of the of the rings of power, they were set out as traps by Sauron. Um, and it's just like how he would do it, right? Um, he literally left them lying around so that people would find them, right? Find them, put, it, put them on, get ensnared, become ring wraiths. Then chuck them and somebody else find them. Right. That's that was how it worked. Um, so, yeah, that was totally a thing. And that's how what it looks like. Again, so you've got lots of reasons to think that uh, it's one of the minor rings. Right. And not one of the great rings. But uh, anyway, yeah, good. Um Yeah. OK. See what else was I going to say? But I'm kind of working my way backwards through this uh, paragraph here. Um, he says, Bilbo or uh, Gollum essentially corroborates Bilbo's account. The account, the you know, the tale um, that Bilbo has now told openly for the first time, the story that the real story of what happened when he met Gollum in chapter five of the Hobbit, right? The second edition version uh, of that story. Um, and, but then Gandalf adds that mattered little since I had already guessed it. 
I'm beginning to see a different pattern. Remember, I was making a kind of a big deal about the fact that both Gandalf and Elrond seem to be conspiring to not tell the story of Bilbo handing off the ring. Um, this was to me especially conspicuous when Gandalf uses it as the launching off point of his story, right? You know, he said, remember he says vaguely, things were said that night, you know, which even the words of, you know, which, uh, uh, you know, raise concerns that even the the words of Saruman uh, could not allay. Like it's it's something happened that made him really suspicious and made him really have to sit down and say, "What? What is the ring? How can I find out? How can I prove it?" You'd think if he's presenting the proofs uh, to Gil- uh, to you know Galdor and the others that he would tell the story or allow Bilbo to tell the story, but they don't. And Gandalf doesn't bring it up either. He also smooths it over. Um, and here he's de-emphasizing uh, the fact of Bilbo's lying about the story, which of course is one of the other pieces of evidence. It's one of the other things. It's one of the very first things that contributed to his unease. It wasn't enough by itself to make him go on a research trip, right? It wasn't enough to make him really convinced that something was wrong. But the fact that Bilbo had initially lied, the otherwise truthful Bilbo had initially told a a false story about how he found the ring was something that was disquieting to Gandalf. And here he's alluding to that fact, but again, he's shoving it aside, right? He's, um, uh, he's, setting that aside in his own mind here, right? Um, Or rather, in his dialogue, not in his mind. In his dialogue. This is the pattern that I'm beginning to see. Um, My first reaction when we were looking at um, Gandalf and Elrond's cutting in to prevent Bilbo telling his story of of the birthday party and how it passed on to Frodo... um, one of the things I was emphasizing there was it's a little bit odd that they don't let him tell the story of giving it up, because that's kind of a big deal, that he gave it up willingly. Yes. I'm wondering, though, are they... Um, the pattern seems to me to be that they are downplaying the extent to which Bilbo was corrupted by the ring. Um, he plays off... The, you know, he mentions the fact that Gollum corroborated Bilbo's tale, right? That's important. So he mentions it. Um, but he doesn't emphasize. He could do, right? Again, it's part of the narrative. If, in as much as Gandalf is involved here in telling the story of how he came to find out that this ring was the one ring, you'd think he could begin by saying, well, my first clue was when... Bilbo lied, which was not like him. So I could tell that some malign influence was at work in Bilbo's life, right? And then that night when he was supposed to leave it behind and he wouldn't and freaked out and I had to lean on him and and I was ugly, right? Um, Again, that's all part, would be part of the evidence that he could bring forward, but he doesn't bring that forward. And Tony, it does begin to sound like... Um, they're hiding Bilbo's shame, something like that. I don't know if it's about Bilbo personally. Like basically, there, there are two, um, there are two motivations I can see 
for concealing the impact of the ring on, or for downplaying, not concealing, but downplaying uh, the impact of the ring on Bilbo. One is to spare Bilbo's feelings. And I, that seems legit. I, 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 I think that they don't want... Um, it may be even a form of honoring Bilbo for the fact that he did give it up of his own free will, right? That they don't want to go back there again. Um, Mariel, that's the other option, right? Uh, Mariel says a cynical reading uh, would be uh, that they don't want Frodo to see how hard it'll be to throw away the ring. Yes, that they are not revealing uh, the impact that this could have on Frodo, right? Um uh yeah yeah um i want to we'll come back to this as we get to the end of the chapter um that is when we get to frodo's actual decision and how that decision is how elrond responds to that decision um <clears throat> we'll return to this then because I, we don't really we don't have enough data for this, but it is. But I'll just say it is a possibility, right? Sparing Bilbo's feelings and not causing too much alarm about what could happen to the person who takes up the ring for because somebody's got to take it. Somebody's got to take it up, right? Someone has to be the ring bearer from here. Um, they both know this. Gandalf and Elrond both know this. This is the ultimate plan. This is the the final item on the agenda, right? Um, so. Um, uh, yeah, anyway, um, and there could be a couple reasons for that, not just uh, to not alarm Frodo or to or, or any volunteer, right? Not to discourage that they, they don't want to discourage volunteerism, um, but also Flamifer, um They know or if they believe that this is the decision the council really needs to come to, um, if they alarm the council too much about you know, what could happen to the, you know, then it, that might be a reason not to do it. And then in which case, what, like what, what other option is there? Um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, again, I'm not convinced that the, this sort of more cynical reading is the right one necessarily, but again, it, it fits. It certainly is something, uh, that is worth, um, um, entertaining, right? It, it makes too much sense not to uh, entertain that idea. Um, okay. Let's move on. And if that is not proof enough, Galdor, there is the other test that I spoke of. Upon this very ring which you have here seen held aloft, round and unadorned, the letters that Isildur reported may still be read, if one has the strength of will to set the golden thing in the fire for a while. That I have done, and this I have read. So he brings forward the final piece of proof, right? He's, prevent, he's presented strong circumstantial evidence, right? The, the, the history of the ring, um, tracing it back as far as they can directly, you know, from owner to owner, Frodo to Bilbo to Gollum, to the banks of the river, right? They have built a good circumstantial case that this is Isildur's ring. When you add the extended life, then that certainly uh, seems to make it almost certain. Um, 
But it still wouldn't be if someone chose to be skeptical, they could they have fuel for their skepticism, right? Based on what we have here. Um, but fortunately, his Gondorian research, his researchers have provided him this one last link, right? And that is the fire letters that he read about uh, that Isildur reported may still be read if one has the strength of will to set the golden thing in the fire for a while. That I have done, and this I have read. Um, notice that the, and if that is not proof enough, Galdor, is an interesting segue, right? Galdor asked to see the proofs, right? That was, that was his, um, uh, that was his word, right? Um, Gandalf is here potentially acknowledging that, again, one who was set on skepticism, right, or had a really, really high standard for reasonable doubt, um, would, um, uh, could still question the conclusion, right? Um, and so he plays, he saves his ace card here for the end, right? The other test that I spoke of upon this very ring, which you have seen held aloft round and unadorned the letters that Isildur reported may still be read. Um, now, yeah, this is the surprise witness, right? Exactly. That I have done. And this I have read. Um, remember he did do it. Frodo couldn't cast it in the fire, right? Gandalf did. Um, and that's an interesting thing, too. I, I, I also can't help but notice that he's alighting over that as well, right? Um, it, Tony's uh, says, is it me or is this uh, a little snippy at Galdor? Uh, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Um, uh I do. Yeah. Now, Emily, that's a really wonderful follow-up question. Um, At the very least, Gandalf himself must hear, while he utters this sentence, be remembering that Frodo, back in the comfort of his own parlor at Bag End, in fact lacked the strength of will to set the golden thing in the fire for a while. Absolutely. Frodo has already failed that test. So if, uh, if the, um, if, if the, uh, the, what do you call it? Audition, right? For being the ring bearer, for taking the ring and casting it into the cracks of doom is, uh, you know, we're going to, we're going to practice at home first, right? First you take it and you chuck it in the fire. Then maybe you go and you chuck it in a bigger fire later on. And, you know, you kind of build your way up right to volcanoes. Um, Frodo failed step one, Right. If Frodo, in the place where he was, geographically, spiritually, mentally, right? If the place where he was back in chapter two, he was incapable of throwing the ring into the fire, what possible reason does Gandalf have that Fro- to think that Frodo would be able to cast the ring into the cracks of doom? And the answer is, he doesn't. I don't think he does. Now, Arden Cran, I think that's a good point, uh, that Gandalf was thinking he'd be with Frodo all the way so he could provide moral support or more than moral support, like just like he um, 
came to Bilbo's aid, right? He exerted his own power um, uh, to help Bilbo at the end of chapter one. Maybe he's uh, thinking that Emily says, or a good push. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> yeah, you know, there, there, there are several different options, right? Um, but um, yeah, so that will be something interesting to watch, won't it? Uh, to see how that goes. But I agree, there is no a priori reason to think like that. Um, or to say the same thing a different way, this doesn't look like a good plan to anybody really, right? I mean, to whom would this look like a good plan? It's not a good plan. And they're going to talk about that. He's going to be, um, um, uh, he's going to be perfectly, um, uh, upfront about the fact that this is not a good plan. Uh, but we'll, we'll come back to that when we, uh, when we get there. Um, yeah, yeah. Good. Enoch does point out that the circumstances are different, that he didn't realize what the ring was when Gandalf told him to do it. Maybe he hopes Frodo's desire to save the Shire and his friends will be strong enough in the end. Yes, I mean, there was nothing at stake there in the parlor, right? You know, Gandalf says, chuck it into the fire, and Frodo's like, I would quite rather not throw my ring into the fire if it's all the same to you, right? Um, there were no consequences to that. Exactly. Right. No, nothing was riding on it um, for Frodo. So, you know, there's less pressure in both directions there. It's not like it's uh, uh, I mean, the parallelism is interesting, right, and kind of inescapable, but it's not um, uh, it's not it's not inevitable that one who fails to chuck it in the fireplace randomly is also going to fail uh, to chuck it into the volcano on purpose. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Um, Good. Belongsbond has pointed out that earlier in this chapter, Frodo offers the ring to Aragorn. Yeah, he does. He does. So um, there's some other evidence in the other direction, perhaps. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we'll see. Well, again, that's another thing to track as we continue to go through. Uh, uh, as we continue to go through the chapter. Now we get to Gandalf's quote, right? That I have done, and this I have read. And he gives us our longest passage of black speech extant. Ash nazg durbataluk, ash nazg gimbatul, ash nazg thrakataluk, ach burzum ishi krimpatul. Okay, so let's scan it. It's poetry analysis time. Let's analyze black speech poetry. So we just did this with the English poetry, uh, but we're gonna we're gonna uh, we're gonna do this poetry workshop style. Uh, those of you who are at MythMoot just did a couple poetry workshops with me, which were a lot of fun. Uh, so we're gonna do another one here uh, uh, for this. So we're, I'm gonna take the same approach that I took in the poetry workshops I did at MythMood. Um, the first step is just to make observations first about the rhythm and then about the rhyme, okay? Um, so first about the, the, the rhythm of the words, then about the sounds of the words. So first, observations about the rhythm. Tell me what, um, tell me what 
syllables are stressed here. And how do we know? Now, when we do this with English poetry, like when we were we were looking at uh, one of the Lord of the Rings poems, um, uh, the uh, Green Fields of Lebanon uh, poem, um, uh, Lebanon, excuse me, we decided that it was pronounced Lebanon. Um, anyway, so uh, the, the, uh, we were doing the Green Fields of Lebanon poem, which is really uh, complex. We actually drew some, I think, some pretty interesting conclusions about that. Um, but, um, okay, so tell me what's stressed. Ash, Nazk are stressed, you think. I am strongly inclined to agree with you. Why? Why? Why do we think that? All right, and I think I never finished my sentence before. When we were doing English poetry uh, workshopping, um, we are often cued by the sound of the words, like how we normally pronounce those words, right? And the length of the vowels and things. Um, well, this is in black speech. We don't know how this is meant to be pronounced necessarily, right? But we can make a pretty good guess, right? Uh, and we do have some evidence here. Um, so I agree. The fact that it's um, uh, the the repetition, the repetition does show that it's important. It doesn't necessarily... Uh, it doesn't necessarily show that it should be stressed, like the syllable should be stressed. Um, the single words, right? Um, also, the vowels themselves. Uh, those vowels, um, I try as I might, I can't pronounce them without stresses. Um, short, single syllable words. Exactly. That's just what I'm thinking. Ash Nazg. Um, I mean, it's conceivable that you could be like Ash Nazg, um, but I don't think so. And the reason I don't think so is that we end with a con with a consonant, and not just a consonant, but with the sh. Right. You have to kind of sit on that for a second in order for its sound to come, and then you transition not to a vowel, but to another consonant. If the second word started with a vowel, then I'd be a little suspicious that maybe we were supposed to just like whip straight into it, in which case one of them could be stressed and one of them could be unstressed, theoretically, right? But that's not what we get. Ash, nazg. In order to shift your mouth over from doing the sh sound to the n sound, you, you kind of have to pause, right? So there really has to be a break. You can't just blur those two words together. They're pretty separate. Ash, nazg. And they're being separate like that and having the same vowel. They don't exactly rhyme, but, um, they, but they have the same vowel sound, right? So what are you going to choose between them? Again, when you have two syllables like that... Um, what is likely to determine stress is the length of the vowel, right? So if one has what would seem to be a long vowel and the other what would seem to be a short vowel, then again, that's another piece of potential evidence uh, that the one should be stressed and the other one should be unstressed. But it's the same vowel, right? So all things considered, uh, I think we're pretty safe in saying that those two should be stressed. Ash, nazg, ash. Nazg. Okay, cool. So we got that. Um, where does the stress fall on the third word? The word that begins with a D. What evidence do we have about where the stresses fall? 
Well, um, we have what looks like four syllables, right? Um, and I say four syllables because apart from the RB combination in the middle, we have alternating consonant and vowel sounds. We've got the RB combination. Um, but uh, we have the way that it's alternating between consonants and vowels certainly suggests that that's supposed to be pronounced as four syllables, right? Um, and, okay, so why would we think we should lay the stress in one place or another? Explain to me why it would be incorrect to pronounce this Durbataluk. Well, I can give one reason. It's not the strongest reason ever, but we've just had... Uh, you're right, Brick Tales, that this uh, seems to rhyme with one in the next line, but that's cheating. We're not talking about that yet. We're talking about rhythm. Rhythm first, sound second. Um, you could say Durbataluk. Ah, Lincoln points. We do have an objective piece of evidence. There's an accent, right? We got a circumflex over that last U, right? So, you know, being um, uh, knowing little more of the black speech than our uh, uh, our the the dearly remembered Candyth, um, we don't necessarily know what that means, right? Uh, but. There are two U, three U's in that word, and only one of them has a circumflex, and the other two do not, right? And so if I had to guess, I am guessing that the circumflex over that last U means, I mean, if I have to, like, privilege one of those U's, I'm privileging the last of those U's, right? Um, yeah, so, I, so Brandon says, would that change the accent or just the pronunciation? Well, it would probably change the pronunciation, but... I, that would almost certainly change the accent as well. Um, that's one of the things that that tends to do uh, uh, in general. Um, okay, so so you notice what we're doing here? I'm trying I try to approach this objectively. We're doing sleuth work. We are figuring out how this non-English black speech uh, inscription wants to be read, right? How do we do this? Okay. And exactly, Sam. If syllable so if we if we if we go with that and syllable four is stressed, then almost certainly syllable two is going to be stressed as well. Um it would be super hard to pronounce that. I mean you could be like Durbataluk. Durbataluk is a conceivable pronunciation of that, right? Um one in four. But let's face it, that's weird, right? Um, uh, and, uh, but like, how would you even pronounce that with like, unst with, without a stress on the first two syllables, but with a stress on three and four, like Durba, Durba Tuluk, maybe that's not really very natural. Um, uh, the other piece of circumstantial evidence, however, uh, is the pattern formed from the first. We've just had two stresses in a row. Ash, Nazg. Um, it's possible to have a third stress in a row. That's not unknown, right? In fact, we know somebody who does exactly that, that is, start his poetic lines with three stresses in a row all the time, 
right? Who's our friend who starts the majority, a large number of his poetic lines with three stresses all in a row? Yeah, Mr. Ho Tom Bombadil, right? Ho Tom Bomb are all stressed. Uh, so it's not that it's impossible, right? Um, but still, there is kind of a tendency after hitting those first two uh, to start to then segue to an unstressed syllable. And since that fits with the stress on syllable four as well, ash nazg durbatuluk is what certainly seems to make most sense to me. Notice some of you are pointing to like how one person or another trans, uh, you know, uh, emphasize this. And you'll notice how I'm totally ignoring those comments. I don't care. I don't care. I don't even care how Tolkien pronounced it. I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to, to, to go based on the evidence of what we see, right? What kinds of conclusions can we draw? Um, let us uh, be as if we were discovering this black speech inscription on our own, which I remember doing when I was a kid and I read this for the first time, right? I didn't have any guidance uh, and I didn't even have any uh, um, uh, audiobooks. Okay, now our next word. Well, after Ashnazg again. Ashnazg. Okay, we've got two votes for Gimbatul. Gimbatul. Okay. Yeah, and Brandon, I agree with you that not emphasizing the first syllable of Durbataluk also emphasizes Ashnazg. Yes. Yeah. Now, JJ, forget it. Forget it. <laughs> forget the English, right? Uh, set the English aside. We'll come back to it. It's not that it's irrelevant, obviously, but it, it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't enter into it yet. We'll compare them after. Um, but uh, but it's not evidence. How the English goes isn't evidence any more than like how the stress falls in the uh, line of, say, to choose a random example. An English translation of Dante is evidence on how you should pronounce Dante. Right. It's a different language. Right. We'll get, we'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, um, but we have to compare and contrast after the fact. Okay. Um, good. Bruinier, exactly. So why, what do you think about Gimbatul? Ashgnaz Gimbatul. Ashgnaz Durbataluk. Ashgnaz Gimbatul. Or Ashk. Yeah, Tony says that the um, uh, the sound of the vowels also helps to show where the stress lies. Um, yes, yes. Um, it is three syllables instead of the four syllables in Durbantaluk. Parsing the syllables seems pretty easy uh, in the black speech, right? Now, who knows? We could be wrong, right? It could be like Welsh and totally surprise us where we think we're seeing vowels and consonants, but assuming it doesn't, and I would assume that it doesn't, as of course, th- what we're seeing here is we've already been told back in chapter two, a transcription of this. This is not what's actually inscribed on the ring, right? That's in Feanorian characters. So um, what we're uh, what we're looking at is a trans—it's a transliteration, is what I meant to say—a transliteration 
into English letters. Uh, so presumably the English letters are working like we would expect English letters to be working. Um, yeah, yeah. So what do you think? What do you think? Um, it is true. Let's see. One other thing we have the the ah sound, the ah vowel has been stressed 100% of the time so far. Ash, nazg, bot, ash, nazg, bot, again. That pattern would suggest, and also it would go to, um, it would go to the same pattern of stress, stress, unstressed, stressed, just like ash, naz, dur, bot, right? Angrist says, seems like the black speech is deliberately focusing on the harsh, short sounds. Um, is it possible that black speech poetry would not work off the vowels, but off a fricative? That's a really interesting question, isn't it? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Not going to lie, and as you will have noticed when I read it aloud the first time, I also have always stressed that first syllable, but I'm not sure I'm right. Um, I love saying ash nazg gimbatul. Gimbatul is a really fun word to say, and I would hate to give that up. But, um, but it does make some sense to say ash nazg durbataluk. Ash naz gimbatul. Hmm. It doesn't end right, though. It doesn't feel like it does. Blanksman says black speech might not be fun. <laughs> There's an outside chance that fun is not, in fact, the primary determining factor uh, of the, the phonetic structure of black speech. Yeah, yeah. Now, Tony, that's good. That's good. Um, you're right that um, uh, the terminal G in Nazg and the beginning of Gimbatul forces a silent beat. You can't, unless you elide them, the Gs. Ash, Naz, Gimbat, Ash, Naz, Gimbatul. You can kind of swallow it. By just combining the G's. If you totally separate the G's, you're right. Ash, Nazg, Gimbatul. And I think that's what the other thing, apart from the fact that Gimbatul is fun to say, uh, that I um, I think led me in the past to stress that. But I'm trying to... Um, um, well, let's come back to this. Let's come back. Let's get a little more data because I think this 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 could kind of go either way. Let's let's uh, let's look at the rest of the patterns. Ash nazg, and then we get another one. Well, if we follow the same pattern as we did uh, in the first section, we would also because we get another circumflex there over the final u in thrak. Kataluk. This looks like it could follow the same pattern as Durbatuluk, right? Durbatuluk, Thrakataluk. Notice that this would also, this pattern would also explain why we get the circumflex over the U in the end part, right? Because we have the two U's, 
practically in a row, right, with just the L in between them. Um, but if our patterns are correct here, that the stresses are supposed to be on the second and fourth syllable of those two words, then that first U, the third syllable, is just it is short. It's definitely short, right? Because you don't really land on so durbatuluk. It's just an uh, right? Just a little, just a little filler there in the middle. Whereas look, durbatuluk, thrakatuluk, um, it's it's definitely a different kind of sound there. Um, okay. Uh, so that seems to fit what we're seeing there, and uh, it also seems to fit um, the pattern, right? Similarity with Durbatuluk there. Um, okay, and then Ach Burzumishi Krimpatul. What do you think about Ach? I'm thinking, I'm thinking, ach, can't be stressed. Who could stress ach, right? I mean, ach. But going back to the fricative theory, right? If it's the consonants that kind of launch into the stress, right? Ach, bouge, ach, boors. Yeah. Ach, boors. Boors, I think, has to be, right? Stress here. Ash, nazg, thrakatuluk, ach, boorzum. Ishi. Can't be boorzum ishi. I can't, yeah, can't be. Can't be. It's got to be ach, boorzum ishi. Right? And here we have to, don't we? Krimpatul. No way. No way that Krimpatul could be Krimpatul. Krimpatul. Ach burzum ishikrimpatul. Yeah, Angra says unless we treat ishi like quay in Latin and just kind of slide right over it, possibly. Possibly. See, I mean. Evil Dr. Cannon, that's what I'm thinking. I mean, this is this is why I said I think we have no choice, because by itself, emphasizing the second syllable with the pot um, would fit the pattern, just as we were saying with the G word right up here. Um, but here's why I don't think we can do it. Um, here's why I don't think we can do this. Do you see what um, do you see what this gives us? This gives us something we haven't seen at any point in these lines, and that is two unstressed syllables in a row. The e of ishi 
and the Krim of Krimpatul, if it's pronounced that way, right? Um, yeah. And that, there's no precedent for that. And it's not just that there's no precedent for it anywhere in the line. The overall flow, look at the overall flow of the words. I mean the individual words, right? Durbataluk, Thrakataluk, even Burzum and Ishi, right? We have yet to see two syllables stressed in a row or two syllables unstressed in a row within any given word, right? That's like not how these words seem to work. Alternating stress and unstressed seems to be an intrinsic part, as far as we can tell from the evidence of the handful of words that we have here, an intrinsic part uh, of this language. So I'm not talking about the poetry, Tony. I'm talking about the language, right? We have two stresses in a row with ashnaz, two short words put next to each other, right? But I mean within any of the words. The words are all either one syllable, one stressed syllable, one unstressed syllable in the case of ach, right? Hey, stop translating. Stop translating. How do we know? Knock it off. <laughs> That's not evidence. <laughs> We're looking at what we have. Um, good. Uh, Trifle says, why is there a hyphen? Good. Well, that's we have several things which have been provided for our assistance, right? Um, and the assistance is, is punctuation, right? We've got two commas and a period, right? Uh, and then we have the accents, right? Those two circumflexes there over the U's, the final U's in Durbataluk and Thrakataluk. And we get the hyphen in Burzumishi, right? Um, yeah, I think it's a, I, it, it appears to be anguistic, a compound word, right? Um, yeah, okay. So... Again, I don't see any evidence for this. And the one, th- one thing is clear, right? However, whether we say gimbatul and krimpatul or gimbatul and krimpatul, both of them, again, fall into the same pattern, right? The same pattern of alternating stresses in each syllable. We still don't have any evidence. In fact, all of the evidence that we have suggests that this alternation of stresses is like a thing in the black speech, um, standard in the black speech, especially with these long words that we get, um, which for which that kind of regularity is a little bit, uh, unusual. And yeah, I trifle, I would be perfectly willing to guess that, uh, uluk is a, is a suffix, right? Um, and, uh, or tuluk even, Right or atuluk even as you say, and then we've got durb and thrak, right as the main, as the main uh, root words. Right, sure, absolutely, um, yeah. So, so I'm not sure. I'm of two minds here. The pattern of the rest of the line. And the rest of the words 
suggests the emphasis on the second syllable uh, and on the short and on the A sound, bot and pot. But Burzum Ishi, and I can't do Burzum Ishi any other way. Um, it's not impossible. Um, but anyway, it's, it would be a B followed by, you know, a long U, Burz. It's really hard not to stress that. Burz. Burz just, you know, you can't swallow Burz, right? You gotta, you're spitting that out, right? Um, yeah, Burz is a syllable that's going out, not in. So I got to stress that. Um, I mean, Burzum, oh, I can't really do it. It's weird. Burzum, definitely. Burzum, Ishi. And in that case, Burzum, Burzum, Ishi, Burzum, Ishi, Krimpatul. Hmm. It feels, that doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel right. Musical, stop translating. What do we know? Knock it off. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry, it's giving you a hard time. But again, we don't know, right? Um, I think I got to go with cream. I think we, I, I we got to go with cream. Um, ah, so Evil Dr. Cannon asks the excellent question, why... Um, since Ash Nazg is missing that last time, right? We get Ash Nazg three times, and Ach Burzum would seem to be in the parallel position. Why would we not stress both of those? Um, Ash Nazg, Ash Nazg, Ash Nazg, Ach Burz. Conceivable. Conceivable. Um, here we can rely upon one of our clues that we are given by our transliterator, right? Um, there's no comma there, right? Um, yeah. Um, ah, oh, Katriana, that is an excellent argument. That is an excellent argument. Katriana is arguing, what if the atul ending is also a suffix, right? Um, which would make gimb and krimp the main word. But here's the problem, Katriana. Oh, well, first of all, I agree with you that the stress in gimbatul and krimpatul has to be the same. I, I can't see how we can possibly pronounce those two words differently. I can see zero evidence of any kind that would support uh, pronouncing those two separately. Um, so they have to follow the same pattern. But of course, if we're correct in thinking that atuluk is a, a an ending, right, a suffix in durbatuluk and thrakatuluk, then, well, luk is stressed in both of them. And the root word, Durb and Thrak are not stressed. Durbatuluk, Thrakatuluk. In fact, that pattern, Keturana, would also suggest that the stress should fall on the second syllable. Ashk, Naz, Gimbatul. 
right? The just as durbatuluk bat is the largest stress in the word, right? And it falls if we're correct about uluk. Um, bat is this sort of uh, transitional syllable, right, between the root word and the suffix in both cases. And yeah, and it would be the same thing. Bot and pot fill exactly the same spot within those two words. Yeah. Yeah, Tom, I agree. The rhythm and sound of gimbatul and krimpatul make me want to stress the first and third syllables. Me too. Um, but the way pot and bot, the bot, pot and bot sounds are used in the rest of the of the verse, makes me want to stress them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Trivo, stop translating. I'm serious. I'm serious. I don't care. I don't care. Um, I don't care. Don't look at the answers in the back of the book. Look at the evidence. Look at the question. Um, okay. Okay. Um, now, Brandon, I'm not willing to accede to the idea that the verse has to have... Um, rhythm and flow because it's an incantation because when we first see it, we don't know that, right? Um, it becomes clear upon hearing it that it is an incantation, right? Um, yeah, now good. Now Matt suggests um, that uh, are we sure it is bot and pot rather than ba and pa, which would preserve the tool syllable across several words. Hmm. Right. So we've got tool in gimbatul and krimpatul, and we've got the tuluk in durbatuluk and thrakatuluk. So, right, I've uh, underlined B-A-T in durbatuluk, but so, Matt, you're suggesting maybe it's not, maybe it's not B-A-T, maybe it's ba, right? Durbatuluk and thrakatuluk. Uh where the stress lies. And so this also would be gimba and then tool and krimpa and then tool. Right? Not the argument there? Okay. Um, Okay, Lupilius says, if atuluk and atul are suffixes, I feel like the stress wouldn't be in the position of connecting the root word and the suffix. I would think so, too. And yet, it clearly is in durbatuluk and thrakatuluk, unless we're going to go back and say we're completely wrong about that. Right? I mean, we'd have to then change those. We'd have to go back and say, ash, nazg, ash, nazg, durbatuluk. But that doesn't fit with the accent. So I don't know. I don't know. Um, hmm.
Hey, why are people talking about rhyme? We're not talking about rhyme yet. We're talking about rhythm. We'll get to rhyme. Hmm. I can't lose Durbataluk and Thrakataluk. First of all, for one thing, again, we have a piece of evidence there, right? We've been given a we've been given a hint with the circumflex. So I am very loath to turn away from that. Um, and I certainly stand by what I was saying before, that I cannot imagine that we're supposed to stress any two consecutive syllables in that word. I just can't do it. Or unstress them, even. Um, I could go with durbatuluk, and I could go with durbatuluk, but I could not go with durbatuluk, nor could I go with durbatuluk or durbatuluk. It just, no, no. Neither, none of those make sense. It's either one and three or two and four, and given the circumflex, it's two and four, I, I think. I mean, that seems to be possible. It's conceivable, Aranas, that we're taking the, the wrong cue from the circumflex. It's conceivable. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah. Musical, I mean it. Stop translating. Don't translate. Um, uh, okay. Dur now. Now. Dur batuluk. Now. Mm-mm. Or are you talking about stress? Okay. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. Okay. Um, right. Right. Okay. Let's see. Uh, so Tom says maybe the Pattern or rhythm at the end is different. Lines one and three match. Line four is different for emphasis. Uh, if there are four lines, um, it's presented as prose, right? So we got to figure that out. Now, the Ashnags do suggest line breaks of a sort, right? So, I mean, uh, we get conceivably this, right? And it does kind of invite us to be like, okay, let's make it into four lines, right? Yeah. Okay. We can see that. Maybe. Um, <clears throat> there certainly seems to be a pattern there, right? Um, why do these guys keep talking about incantations? How do we know it's an incantation? <laughs> right? We don't know what it is yet. Um, we don't know what it is yet. See, I'm still... I don't think Ach is stressed. I really don't. Yeah, yeah. Um, Bruinier, uh, I've spent a good deal of time. Believe it or not, Bruinier, I, I used to be um, sufficiently um, sadistic to assign my English 101 students to write a paper on the Jabberwocky poem, analyzing the Jabberwocky poem. Um, okay. Um Okay. No. No, I really like Durbataluk and Thrakataluk. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
Hmm. Okay. Yeah, Vogon poetry is also interesting, Tony. Sorry, I'm just thinking about Gimbatul and Krimpatul. Okay, here's the other thing. We're, we're, <laughs> just see if I don't, <laughs> exactly, yeah, uh, don't, I mean, you, and I can be just as bloody-minded as a Vogon in keeping us at this task here. We were thinking about the possibility of the para, of parallel structure, that is, the parallel between pot and, with cot and bot. Uh, from the other two words. And but we're missing or we, we're not talking about the most obvious difference between them, which is the number of syllables, right? Three-syllable word instead of a four-syllable word. Um, and here's the other thing. Durbataluk and Thrakataluk have a stress on the last syllable. Um, And that would be potentially justification for saying what I know several of us want to say anyway, which is Gimbatul. Yes. Yes. Lupilia. Yes. Lupilia says, I think the stress on the U uh, is maybe to make it obvious that regardless of the K, there's the it's the longer U sound, which comes a bit more naturally in UL. Yes, I agree. It would be gimbatal. Yeah. Yep. Yep. In the end, I think I've got to go with that. I think I've got to go back to the way I initially pronounced it. Because I think that that last U is long. That's what I'm thinking. In which case... If that's true, then both of those first eyes would be long as well, gimbatul and krimpatul, instead of krimpatul. Yeah. Uh, Lilatomic, I believe that the GH in ach would probably be voiced, but probably very briefly, much more briefly by somebody 
who was more familiar with making that consonant than I, poor native English speaker, am. Um, yeah. It is true that the pattern would suggest, one pattern suggests these. But again, it's easy to imagine how the addition of the second syllable in the suffix would change that. Right? Yeah. But anyway, the A-G-H, yeah, I, I, do, I do believe that the A-G-H would be pronounced ah, ah, ah. So that's the, so you've got the ch sound, right? Which is always fun to say in lots of languages. Get to say ch, but English doesn't have ch much. Not anymore. Used to, right? Middle English, we get to say ch all the time. Um, that's what the GH stands for in the, like, you know, uh, like uh, enoch and knicht, of course. Uh, you know, if you've been up all nicht, uh, then, you know, you get to do the ch sound uh, in there. Um, but even cooler is when you get to voice it, right? So, you know, or, you know, so is to as is to right? And is just about the coolest and most painful consonant to pronounce that I know of. Um, uh, yeah, exactly. Lupilga. It would be the cave of uh, in black speech. Exactly. Um, yes. Yes. Um, so yeah, I, I, so GH or like the, the, the consonant, which doesn't have a letter in English, uh, is, uh, is, is like TH, uh, and the GH is represent in black speech represents the, uh, voiced version of that. <sighs> took me actually you know it took me some time of focused practice to get to the point where i could just say uh you know off the cuff um <laughs> marielle says my sister just walked in to grab something off my printer and she gave me the weirdest look <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely okay um I still think ach is uh, not stressed there. And the reason I think it is that I think that our clue giver would have put a comma after Thrakantaluk, if that had been the case. If there had been a, a pause there. Thrakantaluk. Thrakantaluk. Ach, ach, borzum. Uh, and I don't, uh, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, okay. Uh, exactly, Sam. It does not sound to me at all uh, like the A-G-H would get the same stress as A-S-H. Yep, absolutely. Um, yeah. Hey, dude, we're already on our third slide. One, two, three. Okay. All right. Hang on. All right. So that's a quarter of the way done. All right. That's a quarter of the way done. Now, patterns. 
what patterns do we see? That was just observations, right? That was just observations. What, um, what's the pattern? Ash nas durbatuluk, ash nas gimbatul, ash nas trakatuluk, ach burzum ishi krimpatul. It sounds like the black speech tends towards an iambic rhythm. Unstressed, stressed, unstressed, stressed. Durbatuluk. Even Gimbatul um, doesn't sound truly trochaic to me. Trochi is the other way around when you get the stress at the beginning, the stress unstressed, stressed unstressed. Bump them, bump them, bump them, bump them. Um, um, to use the Dr. Seuss parallel um, uh, from There's a Wacket in My Pocket, which is all in trochi, right? Did you ever have the feeling there's a wasket in your basket? Uh, did you ever have the feeling there's a wasket in your basket is trokey, right? Tom Bombadil is trokey. Ho, Tom Bombadil, Tom Bombadillo. Um, uh, yes. Anyway, um, it doesn't sound tro- trochaic. It sounds iambic. Durbatuluk, ashknaz gimbatul. If we're right about Krimpatul, and this is another reason in my book for thinking that we are right, it fits perfectly, in fact. Uh, from Thrakataluk on, it's perfectly iambic. Thrakataluk achburzumishi Krimpatul. And that seems... Right. Right. Michael, don't get hung up. Don't get hung up on the on the names. Doesn't matter. I'm just talking about the patterns that are here. Call it whatever you like or don't call it anything. It's not what matters. Um, what matters is what are the sounds that are present here? Right. And these are the uh, these are the. The sounds that we that's why we started with observations and then we go to patterns. Right. Don't assert first what the pattern is. Observe the sounds and then see what patterns you see, because, of course, so this is in IAMs. Sorry, I did it again. I use the vocabulary because it's convenient. Right. Um, It's all it's alternating. Bum, 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 bum. Generally, we've got those crimpa tool. Well, gimba tool is an exception. Right. Um, And the ashnazks. Are exceptions. Okay. Okay. Uh, now, sounds, observations. Don't tell me about schemes. I don't want to hear anybody's schemes. I want to hear sounds. What sounds do we notice? Well, when we've already been talking about this some, right? Um, we've got uh, atuluk and atuluk. So let's do some, uh, let's do some colors here. Let's get all Bob Ross again on this. Let's make the Uluk uh, a nice grape. Yeah. Atuluk and Atuluk. We've already observed that uh, rhyme, right? Uh, the 
Atul and Atul, which is similar. So let's make it like a, a magenta, which is reminiscent of the Atuluk. Yeah. Okay. Happy little black speech, evil Dr. Cannon. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. And I certainly agree. Um, Atul and Atuluk look like they're probably related, right? Uh, uh, as far as the actual uh, conjugations or whatever are concerned or, or uh, inflections. Um, but certainly in sounds, they're, they have a, a similar ring, right? They contain the same syllables, but, you know, the addition of the uk at the end makes them sound different. Um, we have, of course, the ashnazgs, right? We should probably indicate those. Uh, maybe with an... Oops, hang on. No, not burzum. Let's do Ashnazg. And a nice scarlet. That would seem fitting. Okay. What else? Okay, well, we got the gheem and the cream, right? Got to get those in there. So we have gimbatul and krimpatul tied very closely together, both with sound and rhythm. They seem to be tied in rhythm, however we decide to do it, right? Uh, and they rhyme very closely, the two of them. It's almost a repetition, not quite, right? I mean, we got in different initial cons consonants, different consonants in the middle, but the uh, the vowel sounds are precisely the same. Um, yeah, good. Um, I agree that we get uh, a lot of consonant action here too, right? So let's talk about the consonants. Um, we've got, um, let's see. Um, oh, you're thinking about the you're thinking about the R's in Durb and Thrakataluk. Yeah, well, they're in different relationships to the vowels, though. So it's not quite a repetition. Durb and Boers are kind of. You know, I could kind of, I could kind of, you know, say that's a little bit reminiscent, right? Any other patterns that you see? Repeated sounds that we should pay attention to? I think the way that the ishi picks up on the ash. Lots of K's and Z's, Flamifer, I agree. Lots of K's and Z's. That seems to be just kind of par for the course in this language, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, no E's, Mornowin. Yeah, yeah, that's very interesting, isn't it? Okay.
Now, let's, uh, let's separate the lines again, like we did before, and see what other patterns emerge. We can, this helps us to see the clear repetition of these, what look like end rhymes, right? Again, they're probably verb, you know, or they're probably endings, right? Uh, but still, it certainly has the strong effect uh, of a rhyming word sound. Atuluk and atuluk, uh, gimbatul, krimpatul. If we break it into four lines, these come at the end of the lines. Um, and <clears throat> the both of the, uh, you know, the, the burrs and the durb, uh, but see, that's not a strong connection. That's a weak connection. It's just a little bit of an echo, but just, I think, worth noticing. Um, just as the Ishii is also a little bit of an echo, both of these, there's really not much sound play that is rhyming connections uh, in here. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. Um Go back. Now let's look at our fourth slide. We did this one in the poetry workshop. We started with this in the poetry workshop uh, at Mythmoot, <clears throat> looking at the English version uh, and the patterns that we can find there. Um, first of all, notice that the rhythmic patterns are interesting. One ring to rule them all, one ring to find them, one ring to bring them all, and in the darkness bind them. Oh dear. Hmm. You know what I can't help but notice? Can't help but notice. The black speech and the English would have exactly exactly the same, to the syllable, the same rhythmic structure if we pronounced it kimbatul and krimpatul. You notice that? It is otherwise exactly the same number of syllables. One ring to rule them all. Ashk nazk thrakatuluk. One ring to find them. Ashk naz gimbatul, one ring to bring them all. Ashk naz, uh, sorry, I said thrakatuluk the first time. I meant durbatuluk, of course. Ashk naz thrakatuluk, ach burzum ishi krimpatul, ach burzum ishi krim. No, we don't. We have one extra one, don't we? Almost. And in and in the darkness bind them. Seven. Ach, burzum, ishi, krimpatul. Yep, we do get one extra syllable in the black speech. One extra syllable in the black speech. Yep. But both of the lines, whether we want to call them line, you know, lines one and two, or whether we want to call them lines two and four, um, to find them and esbind them, right? Both of the lines end in English with an unstressed syllable, right? Yep. Yep. Huh. Well. 
I'm kind of tempted to go with that one. Under the circumstances. So where's our extra syllable? It's got to be an ishi, right? Or ach. If we chuck out ach, we're exactly the same? No. No, because the ach corresponds to, and I, I only mean it corresponds to in rhythm with the and, to bring them all, thrakatuluk, ach bur zum ishi krimpatu. I think it's the she. I think it's the end. I think it's I, I think it's the ishi. Yeah, the last I and ishi, Fred Rock paper. I, yeah, that's what it sounded like to me. Is the sort of throwaway. So, and not, again, not necessarily, that doesn't mean we don't pronounce it at all, uh, but um, that seems to be where the extra syllable comes in. So, yeah, Ingress, I'm wondering if we could elide the last I. But how do you elide it to a K? I mean, that's a little challenging. I'm talking this way because the similarities are too strong. Um, for me to um, of, to ignore, right? Um, this is amazing to me. Um, and I don't care which way he did it. If he composed this in black speech and translated it into English, or if he composed it in English and translated it into black speech... Look at the rhymes. Look at the rhyme patterns. The rhyme patterns of the English, right? We've got ring, we've got the rings, right? Ring, 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 connected to bring. We've got find them and bind them. We've got them all repeated, of course, both times. So, I mean, you could say there's, of course, you know, a connection there. Um, which certainly binds those two, binds maybe a conspicuous word to use under the circumstances, um, you know, those two phrases together, not unlike the tuluks do. Um, are you want me to put them on the same slide? Okay, we can do that. Let's, let's move this from here. Okay, there we go. Hmm. Why are these... Why are they set differently? That's weird. I don't know. Oh, maybe that's why. Um, okay. Fine, whatever. Okay, so... Uh, but evil Dr. Cannon, they still count as four slides because <laughs> I had them on separate slides to start with. Um, okay.
we get the terminal rhymes. Just as we have gimbatul and krimpatul, we have find them and bind them at the end of those lines. We have the either the internal rhyme or the, the ends of lines one and three, if we want to break it into four, with atuluk and atuluk and them all and them all. Um, we have... Interesting, there's no parallel to the bring connection, right? Also no parallel to the um, the alliteration on the R's and B's, right? Um, the ring, the repeated R of ring uh, is linked to rule, of course, one ring to rule them all, one ring to find them, and then bring and bind get connected by the alliteration with the B's there. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Oh, right. I see. Um, yeah. Uh, Exeter Kered, Exeter Kered says the reason there's one fewer syllables in the English is that it leaves off the infinitive, right? One ring to bring the ball and in the darkness to bind them technically, right? Uh, if you extend the parallel literally, um, but why not? But why not? Because it messes up the rhythm. Which suggests that the extra syllable in the black speech messes up the rhythm. Which it does. If krimpatul has its emphasis on the second syllable, then the exactly the thing that I was noticing, um, achburzum ishi krimpatul, that two unstressed syllables in a row sounds awkward. I can't, I can't avoid the awkwardness there. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's okay to be talking about translations now uh, since we're looking at the English and comparing them. Um, yeah, I think it's got to be Gimbatul and Krimpatul. Darn, that is crushing. I don't want that to be true. I really like saying Gimbatul. Um, yeah, but I don't think so. I don't think it is. Ask Naz Durbatuluk, Ash Naz Gimbatul. Ask naz thrakataluk ach burzum ishi krimpatul. Ach, that's hard to say at the end. Ach burzum ishi krimpatul. Whew. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And that's probably why all the elves were shuddering at the end, uh, because of the unexpected deviation from the rhythm. Yeah. And Michael, you're right. It is supposed to be hard to say. It is. But I don't just mean like the vowels and, and things are hard. Um, it is internally, it is, it's not enough to say, but if it sounds weird, it's black speech. It's supposed to sound ugly. Yes, but the rest of it doesn't. I mean, it does. It sounds harsh, right? But 
when you have my ear is like I pay attention to this kind of thing when when a verse establishes a very clear rhythm and sticks to it almost perfectly, right? The place where it fails to stick to it perfectly sticks out like a sore thumb, right? It's like tripping over something in the dark, right? Ash nas durbatuluk, ash nas gimbatul, ash nas thrakatuluk, ach burzum ishi krimpatul. Hear it? Hear the stumble? It stumbles there at the end. And I can't not stumble because there's an extra syllable. It's there, right? The extra syllable is there. One ring to bring them all and in the darkness bind them. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it doesn't flow that way. So here again, I ask myself, you're talking. You've just composed these meticulously, almost identical verses. But not quite, Right? Come on. I think we all know Tollers well enough <laughs> to think that he didn't get to this point and just say, ah, forget it. Close enough. Right? Tolkien don't roll that way. <laughs> right? Close enough. It's not close enough for Tolkien. Um, that is to say, I... Um, I think I think it's I I can't help but think that that variation, the variation between I mean, they're so close that I think the variation is intentional. Ach nas trakatuluk ach burzum ishik. Did it again. Ach nas trakatuluk ach burzum ishik rampatul. Michael, you want me to move the stress in ishi, huh? Ach nas trakatuluk ach burzum ishik rampatul. Yeah, well, it just shifts it. Now I'm tripping over Burza Mishi. Um, if we just kind of swallow that eye, that first eye, then it could work. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah. Hmm. But see, Tim, that final phrase doesn't sound to me stronger. It sounds to me weaker because of the trip. 
because of the trip. Ask nazg trakataluk achburzamishi krimpato. Achburzamishi krimpato. Yeah. It's weaker because of that. See, Lil Atomic, I've been trying to convince myself of ways. It's one of the things that I was doing when I was silent there for a while, was trying to convince myself that I could pronounce I-S-H-I as one syllable somehow. But I don't see how. I don't see how. I mean, if you just skip the second I, achburzim ish krimpatul. Sure, that works. That flows. But here's the thing. I'm not sure it isn't supposed to trip. See, I think that our desire to make it regular is real. Like, there's a reason for that. Because the whole pressure of the line is pointing towards um, regularity, right? I mean, there's a long string of very regular syllables prior to that. And so we can hear it. We hear it in our head. We hear the metronome start going and we want to follow it. But I am not sure that that line isn't resisting it there. Burzumishi Krimpatul basically translates to bind them in Mordor darkness, essentially, right? Bind them in the Mordor dark, basically, right? No, Michael, you're not getting it. Uh, You're not getting it. You can give up on it. I mean, of course, you can be like, well, if we're not hearing a pattern, that must be because there's no pattern. Sure, but there is. You're, what we're hearing is there, right? Again, that's why we start with observations. It's foolish to see uh, a whole string of very regular, clearly patterned syllables and then one variation from that. And from that to draw the conclusion, well, there's actually no pattern at all. Of course there's a pattern. There's a pattern and a deviation, right? We're not forcing that. We're not imposing that upon it. We're hearing that, right? It's That pattern is plainly there. Now, is it something characteristic in black speech to almost do a pattern and disappoint you at the end? Maybe. Maybe that's a kind of anti-artistic convention uh, in black speech. That's entirely possible, of course. Um, but, um, uh, But to disregard the pattern that we can hear is to just play dumb. And we shouldn't play dumb. Um... Here's here's the point that I'm trying to make. 
No, see, Michael, it's not about our preconceived notions. <laughs> it's not about our preconceived notions. It's a, That's why I started without them. That's why I started just by mapping the stresses. And I was trying, and you remember me trying as hard as I could, to resist every external convention or external concept or external piece of context of any kind that everybody kept bringing to it, right? It's there. You can see it and hear it, Right? So what I'm trying to decide is, what I'm trying to decide, um, is what the effect of the variation at the end is. Um, no, mad violinist, I'm not leaning on the English to dictate the black speech. Though I do, since I was, and and if I didn't have, if I wasn't already up on the air about Gimbatul and Krimpatul, I wouldn't have used the English as an indicator. But you remember, like, there were lots of reasons to think either way, right? So I was using the English translation as a tiebreaker there. It's true. Um, but I wouldn't have used it entirely on its own. Um, I'm... Uh, But so, yeah, so, Chris, what I'm saying is I'm just observing a difference between the two of them. That's it. Or rather, first, I'm observing that they are almost exactly identical, syllable for syllable, all the way through. That's observation number one, which leads me to believe that these two are correlated uncoincidentally, right? I draw that conclusion and feel fairly confident in that conclusion, right? That being the case, why, when he had it in his power to make them exact, did he not make them exact? He could have done, right? Especially since it's the black speech that's... I mean, come on. Would any of us have known or cared? He could have made up some convention by which one of those eyes went away, right? Um, but he didn't. And, Michael, I also am intrigued that Tolkien would have made black speech translate so parallel, so in so directly, so parallelly, as you say, into English. I think that this is a very, very interesting point. Um, and I think that a lot of people don't notice this, don't notice how very close the English translation, how almost perfectly he has preserved the rhythm of the black speech in the English verse. Exactly, Matt. Drop in an apostrophe and the problem is solved. But he didn't do that. So this is why I'm resistant to the readings that are, to like our attempts to smooth out that black speech line and get rid of that extra syllable because I think we're losing it. And Tony, you remembered exactly the thing that I was thinking of. Um, uh, I don't know if you guys, um, uh, if you guys um, remember this example I've given many times before in many different circumstances, it's my favorite one of when John Donne includes an extra syllable in an otherwise perfect, uh, perfectly iambic line. Um, it's an iambic pentameter line and he includes an 11th syllable. Um, and it's uh, the syllable that is extra. 
this is in, of course, his famous poem, Batter My Heart, Three-Person God. Uh, and the extra syllable is the word I. Um, uh, and it's a line about his tendency to pride and his need, his request to God to give him humility. And if you take the I out of the verse, it's a perfect line. And I, that is so cool. It's, what is one of my favorite, uh, uh, I mean, I love John Donne in general, but I mean, come on, that is awesome. Uh, talk about ways to exploit, uh, to carefully exploit uh, the rhythm and the sound of a line in order to emphasize the point that you're making. And that, Tony, was exactly what I was thinking. Is there a similar kind of effect going on here? Not exactly the same one, even though the letter I's are involved. I'm not thinking it's the same thing. What I'm thinking is, um, is there a reason? As Matt says, all he had to do was just put in an apostrophe or something. Or just change it. It's not like black speech is a fully developed, fully attested language, which he'd have to then go back and entirely retcon if he made a change here. Right. I mean, there is very little black speech extant in the world. Um, You can't tell me that he couldn't have made it fit if he wanted to make it fit. But he doesn't make it fit. Why not? Burzumishi. Yeah. Um, Burzum is darkness, right? So the Ishi is the... Uh, um, right, JJ's thinking about Discord, right? Um, is there some parallel between Discord and binding? Um uh, bind them in the darkness. Bind them in the darkness. If we just sort of extend it, that's the phrase where the trouble is in the black speech version. That's the phrase that doesn't fit with the rest of it. Bind them in the darkness. The reason I'm pushing is that it feels like there's an Easter egg here. If you see what I mean. Evil Dr. Cannon, that's an excellent way to think of this question. Which one is altered? You know what I can't help but remember? I can't help but remember. Um, Yeah, Kit, I agree. It has to be on purpose. It has to. Um, I can't help but think of a conversation we were having at MythMoot around the in our in our, uh, our 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 fire pit gathering one evening, um, Saturday night I think, um, 
Serena Higgins was telling us about her dissertation that she's working on. Uh, and her dissertation is on early 20th, early 20th century playwrights who were also practicing magicians. Uh, uh, that is like active members of occult uh, uh, organizations and such, but who are also playwrights and looking at the relationship between the plays that they wrote and like the incantations and ceremonies uh, that they performed. And, you know, we were talking about, um, you know, how some of them would like deliberately, they would draw attention to the fact that they were deliberate, like there were some like spells and things that were being performed on stage and they would deliberately, uh, like leave out a bit, right? So that it would to make sure it wouldn't work, right? Because you don't want to like accident like perform Doctor Faustus and accidentally summon a demon, right? Uh, so you, um, uh, so you, you like you know, you don't you don't do the entire actual ritual on stage. You do like most of the ritual to give it that authentic look, but you leave out a bit, right? Um, uh, And I'm wondering if it's, I, I can't help but remember that and think like, I wonder if the black speech version is almost like a version of that. Like the, the black speech version, there's power in this. We'll see in our next slide, which we'll do next week. Um, Gandalf saying this has a big effect and I do not believe it to be an aesthetic effect. Um, I'm not saying it's exactly the same thing. But, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm seeing a kind of similarity. Do you see what I mean by that? Um, Flamifer, that's the kind of Easter egg that I was also kind of thinking about there. Um, that Tolkien is suggesting a binding them in the darkness is actually not possible. That day will come again. Yes, that the, the binding, there's an obvious chronological direction Right. Um, we begin with the declaration of rule. Right. But then we go find, bring, bind. Right. And those are oriented in time. First you find, then you bring, then you bind. And when they are bound in the darkness, it's game over. Right. That's the end. Um. That's the end. The end is imperfect in the black speech version. The English version, I associate with the elves. I know the elves don't speak the English, um, but the English version of the one of the whole lore of the rings verse is quoted to us as a piece of Elvish lore, right? Um, yeah. Trifle, that is the conclusion that I am tempted to come to here. That the black speech actually contains a message of hope. Exactly. The English translation is pessimistic, right? Uh, perhaps as a reflection of the elves' fear 
of Sauron? Or Gandalf's, perhaps. Matt's pointing out that it, we decided the translation was Gandalf's, probably. Um, but does the Black Speech contain the sort of hidden message of hope that Sauron has overreached himself by a syllable at the end? He comes to within a syllable, one short syllable, of completing the incantation, of completing the cycle. Ruling, finding, bringing, and binding. But it escapes him at the end. And that's why it stumbles. It's, it's, it's the st- there are lots of variations. If it just changed, that would be one thing. But it doesn't just change. It stumbles. There's an extra unstressed syllable. And extra unstressed syllables are always bloody awkward. Again, an extra unstressed syllable is like skipping a step on the stairs. Yeah. Exactly. He added the extra syllable to make it dissonant, and thus his plan is undone. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Because I can't... I can't think that there isn't a meaning here. They are too close. Tolkien didn't do this by accident. No one is going to convince me that these two verses are within one syllable of each other. And again, Tolkien was just like... Who's going to notice? I'll just leave that in there. Totally didn't roll that way. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Evil Dr. Cannon asks, is the meaning, um, uh, is the meaning Tolkien's or Sauron's? Um, Tolkien's, I think. Tolkien's, I think. Um, yeah, JJ says most of Tolkien's revisions were because he noticed things, not because he thought others would. Yeah, that didn't really activate him primarily. Okay. Uh, Drakentarachne says, this just occurred to me, though I guess I can't really think of a way in which it could be linguistically possible that Gandalf might have edited the black speech slightly to break up the meter when he spoke it aloud, because the original, which had perfect rhythm, derived part of its incantatory effectiveness from the meter, and Gandalf didn't want to somehow replicate or strengthen its effect. So Gandalf is messing with the black speech by that argument. Maybe. Maybe. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. Um, The part that breaks the meter is a perfect match for the rest of the four words. Yeah. Oh, I know. Trifle. But again, um, what I come back to is he made up this language. And it's, if you remove this, these lines, there goes a huge percentage of the total black speech that is ever attested. Right? So he could... Um, he could easily, um, 
I've just changed it. I've just changed it. I mean, he could have done. He could have done. Um, yeah. He had it in his power. Yeah, Trifle says, I'm, uh, I think this has to be the exact black speech wording because of that fact. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I, I don't think Gandalf is messing with it. Yeah. Okay. I'll keep thinking about this. I gotta let you go. It's late. Um, uh, yeah, I'll let you go. Um, but this was, this is, this is tough work. This is tough work, but I almost always find that this kind of work is rewarded. Um, it's important to try to eliminate our preconceptions, to hear what's there, and to not be afraid to pursue the evidence of what we hear and see uh, when we do this. Um, okay. Awesome. Thank you guys for helping me work through this. Um, and uh, we'll, um, we'll, we'll get through this. So see, look at that four slides. I did it. I kind of cheated. Admittedly, it wasn't four slides of totally separate text, but uh, we did it. Anyway, thanks, everybody. Bye now. Good night. See you guys next week. Uh, I do have the rest of my broadcast as normal this week, hopefully. Uh, so we will uh, uh, we will see you guys. Uh, I'll have uh, Morgoth's Ring. Going to start the Akalabeth tomorrow. Uh, not the Akalabeth. Listen to me. Uh, the Athrobeth, I mean, of course. Um, all right. Thanks, everybody. Night now. Thanks for joining me on this epic exploration of The Lord of the Rings and of Standing Stone's video adaptation of Tolkien's story. If you are having even half the fun I'm having on this journey, I hope you will consider supporting the project by donating at signumuniversity.org fund.